Anthony Todet was convicted last week in the murders of his wife and three children and the family dog. The murders happened sometime in December of 2020. Anthony lived with their decomposing corpses for around four weeks before investigators showed up at his house to talk to him about a different matter and discovered this gruesome scene. Anthony has been sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. Hey everybody and welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. This is Katie Weaver and I'm here with my sister, co-host and partner in crime, Christy Brower. Good morning. Good morning. Hey everybody. It is Monday and it actually (laughs) is Monday. (laughs) It actually is. We think we've resolved our tech problem that we had plaguing us all week last week. (laughs) We're hoping, yes. But we're here today and all is clear so we're... Yeah, fingers and toes crossed and everything Mm -hmm. else. So, yeah. Well, I hope you guys had a wonderful full moon weekend, uh, Easter weekend, Passover weekend, however it is you celebrate or don't. uh, I hope you had a good weekend. (laughs) Ham and potatoes weekend, whatever. Ham and potatoes weekend. Yep, that's what it was for us. (laughs) For sure. Well, other than that, How's it going? You ready to hit this hard? Pretty well. I am. Yes. We've got some interesting stuff to share. I actually have good news to share. All of my segments today are good news, which I think is, you know, on a true crime show, not that common. That's good because the main event is pretty grueling. So (laughs) I eased it a bit. Thanks for being the offsetter. Yes. Sure. All righty. Well, let's hit it. Actually, first, uh, you're going to bring to us a true, I'm sorry, a Missing Person Spotlight. Yes. So this is actually a spotlight of two missing persons who have been found alive and okay, which I think is kind of amazing. And I love to get to share stories like this because missing person spotlights don't always end happily. Yeah. So let's start with Shanna Miosik. We shared... Uh, Katie shared uh, her uh, details last week because she had been missing for a few weeks. Family couldn't find her. She uh, is known as a traveler in the Bay Area. And she and her dog, although travel around a lot, usually uh, check in with family and friends and, and, um, you know, let people know that she's okay. And she hadn't in a few weeks. And it was really making people nervous. Mm -hmm. Well, two days ago, she posted to Facebook that she's sorry that everyone's been worried. She's really been struggling since the murder of her friend, Victoria. Mm -hmm. That I believe she witnessed. Yeah, yeah. She's she's a witness in that case. She is. And it's been very scary. And she was very upset. And then she broke her phone. And with it, she lost all of her phone numbers and couldn't log into Messenger or anything to let people know that she's okay. Yeah. 
Now, I'm going to give this a caveat because there are people in the comments of this post mm -hmm. who say, this doesn't sound like Shannon. We're not sure it is. Um, her mother is posting in there. She responds several times. I think she may just be coming off different than she usually does because she's struggling. Yeah. Um, but it does appear that she is okay. Yeah. And she's asked that everyone who knows her, please private message her their phone number because she's working on getting a new phone and she needs everyone's number because her broken phone, she's not able to transfer. So mm -hmm. it's a good news. It, it does appear that it is her and that she is okay. There were a couple of really credible sightings of her by around the end of last week in San Francisco. Yes. And so I'm not surprised. I'm very glad. What a terrible scare for her family. Yes. Yeah. And really, I mean, I just, she, she needs some, she needs some help. She's been through some really hard stuff. She yeah. has, and she just needs a lot of support, but we're so grateful that she's okay. Yeah. So in another rather miraculous mm -hmm. uh, recovery of a missing person. This is the case. I think it is. Ooh. Yeah. So this is a young man who has been missing out of California since 2019 and his family has been absolutely devastated by his loss he has autism and his family has been absolutely terrified mm -hmm. that they would never find him or that yeah. he was not safe his name is connor jack oswald and she he went missing in september of 2019 from clear lake california and he was 16, right? Uh, yeah, he was 16. And mm -hmm. last week, some police in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, came across. Well, they had a report of a young man sleeping in the doorway of a business. And they went to check on him to see if he was okay. Right. Kind of up in Park City, right? Yeah. Up in, yeah. Around Park City. That's, that's the kind of not quite mountainous. Yeah. Mountainous, cold, cold, really cold. Yes. Very cold. And when the police talked to him, fortunately, they've had some training in working with people who have autism. They immediately acknowledged that he seemed to have possibly a disability and, and communicated a little differently. And they realized that he has had some police interaction in the past but he's never been identified or arrested because he was never doing anything illegal, but he's been sort of wandering around, obviously not doesn't have a place to be and maybe isn't doing so well. So police started searching through the um, missing children's database, the Nas national missing children's database. And what do you know? They come across a photo of Connor Jack Oswald and yep. they're like, this is him. This yeah. is absolutely him. So they get a hold of his family. Now, his family had moved from California to, if you can believe it, Idaho Falls, Idaho, which is where yeah. I live. Yeah. <laughs> and they got a hold of his family and his, ste his stepdad and his grandpa traveled straight to the sheriff's office where he was and, you know, just, you know, identified yeah. him. It is most definitely him. Mm-hmm. And he is alive and well and will be going home to his parents, but is, I believe, in a hospital right now. Yeah. Just getting checked out, make sure that he's okay, because he's literally been 
we're not sure where for the last three years. Right. And just kind of transient living homeless, it looks like. Yeah. At least for part of that time. Yeah. But managed to stay alive. Yeah. Which is amazing. Absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. So his family is thrilled to have him back, and we are so yeah. glad he's safe. It's so, an unbelievable miracle. It really yeah. is. It really is. So some good news on a Monday morning. Never say never. Yeah. Right? All right, Katie. Well, I'm going to kick the mic back to you for our main case. Okay. So we're talking about the Anthony Toad case. Now, I will admit I had not heard of this case. It's an interesting thing in the true crime world when Christy and I are both very immersed in true crime all the time. Sometimes you miss major things. And honestly, I wish we would have found this one at the beginning because we could have gone full Vallow on this case. Mm -hmm. Uh, We won't now because uh, I'm not going to be the proverbial dead horse. (laughs) (laughs) Say something else next time. (laughs) (laughs) But this is a hell of a case. So it happened sometime in December of 2020. So Anthony and his wife had three children and they were from Connecticut, but they had moved to Florida. They were living in this uh, community called uh, Celebration. Apparently this was Mm. a little uh, Mm -hmm. community that was built by Disney. Yes. They don't own it anymore, but they did. Yeah. Near Disney World. Quite a famous weird little place. Yes. Yeah, this is, you know, like the uh, spinoff of the happiest place on earth. Um, right. Uh, yeah. Disney had this idea they were going to build. Murdered. Yeah, that they were going to build little towns and stuff, which mm-hmm. I don't think it went that well. And I think well, that's where you build it. Yeah, I think the totes ruined it for everyone, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or totes. I've heard their last name pronounced several different ways, but tote is the, the seems to be it the going. It to be tote, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So at any rate, Anthony, there's two different narratives. And so I'll tell you what happened according to law enforcement, because Anthony was a physical therapist and had had a few different practices and was swimming in debt and was in trouble for insurance fraud. So sometime in January of 2021, the police showed up at Anthony's home to arrest him for insurance fraud. Well, when they got to Anthony's home, they discovered quite the scene. First of all, Anthony could barely stand and seemed to have been drugged. Moreover, they discovered the dead and decomposing corpses of Anthony's wife and his three children and the family dog. So they took Anthony to the hospital. Because he, there was something wrong with him. Mm-hmm. And he told paramedics that he had overdosed on Benadryl. Mm. And so once they got him treated, they uh, and arrested him, he confessed. He, the victims were Megan Tote, his wife, his 13-year-old son Alex, or Alec, 11-year-old son, Tyler, four-year-old daughter, Zoe, and their dog, Breezy. Mm -hmm. So he said 
this is what he initially said. And I'm going to include in the uh, the show information a link to watch the confession. It's really long. I can't uh, play it here, but it is very interesting. It's kind of hard to hear, too. It's like CCTV stuff, but it's very interesting. So he spins this web that his wife had uh, Lyme's disease. And he said that his wife had uh, pretty much exhausted Western medicine as far as Lyme was concerned. Nothing was really helping. She was feeling terrible. So she had started studying yoga and had, I believe, become a yoga teacher. She was way into yoga. And then she started getting more into like Eastern religions. These are his words. This is his story. So don't uh, take, you know, it, it's the story has changed lots of times, but he says that sometime in April of 2020, she started watching videos on the internet talking about how to achieve true salvation and that there was an apocalypse coming and that the only way for families to be saved from the apocalypse was to be, to achieve salvation together. Any guesses on how you achieve salvation together? Yeah. Oh, you drink the Kool-Aid. You drink the Kool-Aid. Yep. You have to die together. So they had this whole plan that um, she made a pie for dinner that was like a jello pie that was full of Benadryl. No. And that they fed that to the kids. He says that then later on, he came in to uh, the children's bedrooms and with the daughter, he says he put a pillow over her face and laid on top of her for 15 minutes until she stopped breathing. Oh, with the boys, the story gets a little jumbled. Uh, and what the Emmy says is a little different than what he says. But essentially, he smothered the boys with pillows and then stabbed them both a few times for good measure. Oh, my God. And then Megan. Apparently, Megan, uh, according to him, she stabbed herself twice in the abdomen. Uh, her injuries were eight inches deep. Yeah, she didn't do that to herself. No way in hell did she do that to herself. Mm -hmm. um, according to toxicology, they all had uh, Benadryl, or Benadryl uh, poisoning. So then... He wrapped their bodies up in blankets and just lived with them. Christmas came and went. What? Her family says that they talked to her via text uh, the day after Christmas. Mm-hmm. Wonder who that was. Wonder who that was. Wonder. So that but was... How do they get salvation if he's still alive? Well, <laughs> somebody chickened out. Yeah, that's, wow, wow. I think probably what happened is that the Benadryl didn't kill him like he thought it would. He was a big, big guy. Mm -hmm. So that was the initial uh, testimony. That was the initial um, report. So, of course, they charge him. And, of course, he gets a lawyer and, uh, you know, gets his head on straight, I guess. And... Pleads not guilty. And by the time they get to court, the whole narrative has changed. His attorneys tried really hard to get that confession thrown out. Apparently, they he they claim they didn't Mirandize him. 
correctly in the first place, which is actually true. In the first hour, they didn't Mirandize him. They weren't, they didn't think they were coming into this. So, you know, they, there was the, the tables uh, turned a lot. Things got chaotic. They actually took a break, came back, Mirandized him and kind of started over. So anything that he said before that time, they did throw out, but it wasn't enough to really hurt their case. Mm -hmm. And, but after that was relevant. So then they come to court and when they go to trial and there's a lot of, you know, back and forth that's happened between there, but I won't go into all of that. But uh, when they finally get to trial, of course, the narrative has changed completely that uh, he had no idea that she was going to do these things. He had no idea that his wife was going to murder the children, right? He says he wasn't home. He told a few different stories. One is that he was out jogging. Another was that he uh, had gone to a previous place of residence to pick up some stuff. I The story changes a lot. But at any rate, now he claims he wasn't home and that when he got home, he didn't eat the pie from dinner the night before because he was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and was trying to lose weight. So he hadn't eaten the pie, according to him. But and he had no idea that it was full of Benadryl. It was just like a jello pie or a pudding pie that uh, was purple. He didn't know. We had no idea. <laughs> so he comes home from jogging and or picking up stuff or whatever. And the kids are dead. And he's running from bedroom to bedroom, finding dead children. And his wife is chasing him around, trying to explain to him why and tell him what what they're doing and what they have to do. And he's begging her to get help. And I'll take full responsibility for this, babe. You just get to the hospital and get help. That's what he told the court. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, my God. And bear in mind, they also killed a family dog. But, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the story. He says that uh, because of Lyme disease, he blames all of this on Lyme disease and pain which is pretty wild coming from a physical therapist yeah. but that she just got basically crazier and crazier as her pain got worse and worse. And he was doing PT on her twice a day, trying to keep her pain at bay and nothing was helping. And anyway, that is so, so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause so then he claims that she <laughs> stabbed herself in the guts twice and he had to watch her die. Now, he also, of course, you guys, gosh, his cell phone was dead. This was early in the morning. So what do you do with your cell phone at night? You charge it. You charge it. No, his phone was dead. And don't uh, worry. She had already hidden all of the other phones in the house. I was going to say, <laughs> how many phones did they have? And where were the chargers? No possible way to, you know, use a phone. Also, apparently Anthony's legs didn't work because he could have run to neighbors on either side of them across the street, up and down the road, and called for help. Right? He could have done any of those things. Any of that. He didn't. He just kept living in the house with their dead bodies. One of the reports says that he drug them all into the master bedroom and that he was also sleeping in there. I didn't hear that in court documents. I read that. So I, I'm just going to say that. I don't know that for certain. However, mm-hmm. I have not been able to go through all of the court stuff because it is, dare I say, voluminous. <laughs> yeah. I uh, Browsing Facebook on this case, finding a couple of really uh, 
interesting posts uh, from family members and also from a former neighbor, a oh, lady wow. who lived across the street, who all of her kids were friends with their kids. Oh. And what a horrifying thing this has been for their family and that they yeah. eventually had to move. Oh, I because, bet. Partly because of the press descending on every part of their neighborhood, knocking on their door, partly because their kids couldn't bear the trauma of seeing that house every day. No, I'll bet not. So they moved, they rented a a house elsewhere for a while and then eventually just sold that house and moved completely because it's just absolutely destroyed their kids. Mm. Horrible. That is horrifying. Yeah. So, but I do have a couple of clips that I want to share because I think it's interesting to see the completion of the court process. You know, we see a lot of what happens in the beginning and we hear about the testimony or sometimes the, uh, you know, what happens in the end, but we don't often get to see exactly what happens. So the first clip I'm going to share is a clip of the the sentence, or I'm sorry, of the uh, the verdict. And you really see the back of his head and his attorney's heads, uh, but just watch his body language. I think it's pretty interesting to see uh, the way he acts. The arrogance that starts coming out in him is pretty astonishing. He would have to have an extreme amount of arrogance to have done this mm-hmm. and, you know, then lived with their bodies and yeah. All righty. So the first thing we're going to share is the, uh, the reading of the verdict. So yeah, pay attention to his body language. It's pretty interesting. The, the shot really is the back of his head and his attorneys on either side of him. So we'll take a look at that first. Does the defense recognize the presence of the jury? Yes, Judge. The state? Yes, Judge. Members of the jury, the court has been made aware that the jury has reached a verdict. Madam Foreperson, has the jury reached a unanimous verdict? Go please give those forms of verdict to the court deputy. Defendant will please rise. Madam Clerk, if you would please publish the book. In the Circuit Court of the Ninth Judicial Circuit in and for Osceola County, Florida, case number 2020 EF149, State of Florida versus Anthony John Tote. Verdict as to count one. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty of first-degree murder as charged in the indictment. Verdict as to count two. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty of first-degree murder as charged in the indictment. Verdict as to count three. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty of first-degree murder as charged in the indictment. Verdict as to count four. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty of first-degree murder as charged in the indictment. Verdict as to count five. 
we the jury find the defendant guilty of cruelty to animals. So say we all dated at Kissimmee, Osceola, Florida, Osceola County, Florida, on the 14th of April, 2020. Does either side wish for the jury to be polled? Okay, so there you go. They do, of course, pull the jury, and the whole time with every juror that says guilty, he's shaking his head. Uh, the jury was only out for about, I believe, six hours, and there was a report oh, wow. at one point that they were deadlocked, and yet they came back with a unanimous verdict. So I don't know about that report, but mm -hmm. at any rate, uh, that wow. that's what happened. So they found him guilty of first-degree murder on all four charges, and also animal cruelty for killing yeah. the dog. Well, and that's when he started shaking his head. I was yeah. like, really? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. But he did um, really, his shoulders really did drop when mm -hmm. when the first verdict, the first yeah. guilty verdict was read. In his testimony, and again, it was so long. You guys really should go back and find it and watch it if you're interested. But, but it's long. It's hours long. In his testimony, he... The level of arrogance is just pretty astonishing. Yeah, uh, the level of uh, self-assuredness that uh, you know, I'll just come in here and tell you how it is, and you'll just believe me. The Ooh. way he treats the female uh, prosecuting attorney—wow, very arrogant and rude—and frequently, uh, you know, is popping off at her. She asks him questions; he doesn't answer them, or he answers you know, goes a different direction and she tells him, no, that was just a yes or no question. And he gets really shitty. Yeah. He did something. They did something. So I highly recommend you go back and you watch the initial, uh, confession. And I'll link that here in the, uh, the show description and then go back and watch the, to where he takes the stand in court. Uh, he should have never taken the stand in court, to be honest, for, well, it was a bad be. idea on his defense's part. Well, I think going to trial on this was a bad idea on the defense's part. Like, mm -hmm. wow, I'm surprised they risked mm -hmm. first-degree murder charges. Right, yeah. Convictions, you know. Yeah. So I want to share the sentencing. It's really quick. And, and I think part of it's cut off. But i really love to hear what the judge had to say on this. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to share that screen here quickly. You destroyed the world of your 10-year-old son, Tyler John Tote, that you destroyed the world of your 13-year-old son, Alexander John Tote, that you destroyed the world of your wife, Megan Denise Tote. The jury has unanimously determined that you murdered each of them with premeditation based on the evidence presented in this room. And then he goes on, of course, to sentence him to four life sentences with no possibility of parole. Good. Certainly judging, not a person who should ever get out. Judging by the arrogance uh, put forward by him and his attorneys, uh, I would imagine there will be an appeal coming in no time. But uh, that's where we're at on this case. And wow. I think it's a fascinating one to study. Interesting, they were both raised Roman Catholic. 
um, I was really interested in where the hell did these beliefs come from? Because we just keep hearing this crazy shit, you know? Right? Like, this is a little too Daybell Vallow for me. Right. Well, I mean, we're just going through uh, the case, the trial right now also of the guy in California that uh, was deeply enmeshed in QAnon beliefs that took his children to Mexico and murdered them to save them. So where did these beliefs come from? We don't fully know. I've done quite a bit of research trying to figure it out. We don't fully know. Of course, he's blaming it on, you know, Hinduism, which, um, yeah, that's not. No, that's not. But it is. It is a common belief among sort of fringe uh, mm-hmm. extremists in lots of belief systems. It is. That, it is. you know, the way to salvation or to save your children is to die, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's also, this seems more to me like a family annihilator. Yeah. That, um, he couldn't deal with the shame mm-hmm. of going bankrupt that he would rather his family die mm-hmm. than them know that he was unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. Well, Those and he was going to jail either way. Yeah. You know? He yeah, had big charges coming up against him and insurance fraud. He was losing his businesses. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a whole, that that's, it's, that's what he seems like more to me as a family annihilator, mm-hmm. particularly because this was supposed to be a murder suicide pact, mm-hmm. supposedly. Yeah. And He's too arrogant to die, I guess. He claimed that in the three or four weeks, he doesn't, he also claims that he has no idea what day they died. He doesn't know. Time all just ran together. He doesn't really know. We just know it was before Christmas. Yeah. Um, They could, they haven't been able to nail down exactly what day they died. But sure not. He claims that uh, in that three or four weeks from the time that the family died to the time that the uh, feds showed up, that he had tried to kill himself 10 times. Guys, he bought a pellet gun. <laughs> what? <laughs> this yeah. was his big plan besides mm-hmm. obviously not taking enough Benadryl? Mm-hmm. He, he tried Benadryl over and over again. It didn't work. He says he ate an entire bottle of metformin, which um, RIP your intestines. Holy uh, yeah. God. Uh, and like kidney damage and stuff, I'm sure. He if supposedly he initial, uh, you know, he was supposed to kill himself with the knife, but he just couldn't quite do it. He just couldn't do it. So he tried lots. He says he tried to hang himself three times, but he was unsuccessful. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sure. Mm-hmm, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. All of that is to cover the fact that he yeah. thinks way too much of himself mm-hmm. to have done that. Yeah, 100%. Yep, it is quite the case. So finally, some level of closure for their family and friends that have been, you know, horrified and rocked by this. The community that was horrified and rocked by this. Do I think that we have heard the last of full Anthony Tote? Not at all. Not at all. But here we are. Well, he'll be wanting his uh, Dateline special and, you know, he'll be wanting his uh, interviews. Mm -hmm. You bet he will. Yep. So there you go. So, Christy, I'm going to kick the mic back over to you for a DNA for the win case. Yes. So as we have talked about a lot in the last couple of years, 
DNA just keeps solving cold cases. Mm-hmm. This is a cold case out of uh, Waikiki, Hawaii. And this was a murder that happened in 1994. This is Lisa Fricase. She was uh, strangled by a telephone cord. You know it's from the 90s because telephone cord? What the hell is that? Um, <laughs> she was, she was um, strangled with a, her, a telephone cord in her own apartment um, in 1994, she was 37 and she worked as an exotic dancer. Oh, apparently, um, this place where she lived was a, an apartment hotel. Um, so they had like cleaning service and stuff that came in and a maid came in to bring her towels and that's well came in because there had been a do not disturb sign hanging on her door for several days. Mm-hmm. which seemed odd. And so a maid went in to see what was up and found her body. Oh, wow. They did. The police did um, collect a used condom and a cigarette, butt from the crime scene. And that is the evidence that they needed in order to solve this case. But of course, to, you know, couldn't do it at the time. Yeah. I'm going to show you a picture of Lisa. Here, let's see. This is Lisa. There aren't any. I couldn't find any super good pictures of her. But this is Lisa. And so it only took someone. It was from Parabon Labs, of course. We keep seeing that. And it only took two days to identify her killer once they had the DNA which is kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. So Cecil Trent is the alleged killer, the um, donator of DNA. Um, At the time they had literally nothing. They had the condom and the cigarette butts, but they, nobody heard anything in the, in the apartment complex. Nobody saw anything. Apparently the killer had stuffed her a sheet in her mouth. So she couldn't scream. And so nobody heard anything happening. So what happened is that they worked with C.C. Moore, who is a chief, is the chief genetic genealogist for Parabon Nanolabs. Mm-hmm. And they've done so many good things. Um, so she used, C.C. used the same techniques um, to identify Cecil Trent as they used to identify the Golden State Killer in 2018. Mm-hmm. So, of course, this was done through genetic, through genealogy. Mm-hmm. And they, um, they actually were able to match a fingerprint. They had a fingerprint, too, mm-hmm. that was on the telephone at the crime scene. Well, that's also Trent's. Wow. Um, so they... They got a new sample from his close relatives because sadly Cecil Trent died in 2013. So no direct justice for him, but at least her family has some closure. Yeah. And we do know he's off the street, but motive. They don't know. They really don't have one. They, I haven't seen anything yet that has connected him to her directly. 
they're not a hundred percent sure, but because she was mm-hmm. an exotic dancer, of course, the first place they're looking is, sure. is if he was somebody who knew her through that. Yeah. Um, just terrible. It's terrible to me when they get to live out their whole life. Right. With yeah. no, rep- you know, no repercussions mm-hmm. because is this the only one? Is this the only uh, murder he committed? Cause it's probably not. Probably not. No, probably not. Wow. You guys like that have a tendency, you know, but they've now got, They've done all the genealogy. They've got his fingerprints. They've got all of it. Yeah. So they can now, you know, connect him to anything else that might come up. And at least Lisa's family has got some closure. Yeah. Well, there's that for sure. Well, good. We'll take every DNA for the win case we can uh, find. That's amazing. Right? Won't we? I know. It's just, I, I just hope we keep seeing more current cases solved. Yeah. With DNA, you know, the, the past ones are great, but how about getting some active killers off the street with it? Yeah. And I know that that is happening, but it seems like a lot of it is happening with cold cases now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, guys, there you have it. That is our Monday episode. So we still have two more episodes this week. Tomorrow night, Tuesday night, is the poultry party. Yes, it so is. So if you have subscribed as a follower here or a member here on YouTube, it's $4.99 a month. Mm-hmm. You get to come to the cold read party and bring us a case and we will cold read it uh, on the air and attend. You can come and attend and it's really fun. We have uh, a great little group over there that bring us some very interesting cases that we cold yeah. read. Sometimes and we turn those into episodes because we're like, wow, this is a great know case. This story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So if you want to subscribe, all you have to do is just go to our main page on YouTube and there's a button there and just, you know, click Click on that something. Yeah. Click on that and join. And then, uh, of course, you can come to the cold read party. So that's coming. We'll have Wednesday night case updates. We'll have Thursday night case updates. But most importantly, (laughs) we will. Oh, no. We'll have the psychic hour on Thursday night. Like this is a new show I did not know about. (laughs) Right. Tomorrow, Tuesday, there are two big uh, court uh, attendance or appearances for the Daybell Ballows. Unfortunately, we will be unable to stream those because the judge has now, here's the thing. These trials, these uh, court uh, appearances, they have to be open to the public in some way. Because of COVID, the courtrooms were closed, so they were allowing streaming. They are no longer allowing streaming, which sucks for us. However, East Idaho News will be there and they will uh, be able to upload stuff after the fact. They just can't stream it. We will probably just do the same. Mm -hmm. However, uh, there's a chance that we'll show up in uh, Lori Ballow's arraignment. We're going to see what we can do. Uh, We're not going to worry about going to Chad Daybell because uh, honestly, this is just more of them fighting out whether they're going to move the case or not, or move the trial or not, and yeah. back to Fremont. And we'll hear the ruling and we'll share uh, the uh, the video of it later. But we'd kind of like to be there for Lori's stuff. So we'll see. It's a first come, first serve. If you can get into the courtroom, you do. And if you don't, you don't. So we don't know. But we'll let you know tomorrow exactly what that's going to look like. Because uh, we don't know yet. It's going to get interesting around here. So. Thank you guys so much for being here. This has been yet another episode of True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Have a great day. Thanks for being here, everybody.